Hello and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today, we are joined by Davide Scaramuza, leader of the Robotics and Perception Group at ETH Zurich, and a renowned researcher in the fields of autonomous vision-based drone navigation and event cameras. Hey, welcome to RoboHub. Hi, thank you. So firstly, I'd like to give a little bit of background about why I reached out and uh, invited you to the show today. So over the past few months, I've been working a lot with my team at Fluid Dev, where we've been building a platform helping robotics companies scale. And while we were working with one of the companies on that platform, we were digging into a lot of open source vSLAM algorithms, um, and we just kept running into your name as we were doing research and reading up on this. So your name and your team um, at the University of Zurich. So I'm super excited to have you on today. And I'd love to learn just a little bit more about yourself and what your team is doing. Thank you. It's my honor to be here with you today. Awesome. Yes. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? So yeah, I am a professor of uh, robotics and uh, perception at the University of Zurich, where I lead uh, the robotics and perception group, which is actually now 10 years old. Uh, we are about 15 researchers and we, we do research uh, at the intersection of robotics, computer vision, learning and control. Our main goal is to basically understand uh, how we can make robots uh, uh, understand the environment in order to navigate autonomously from A to B. And uh, our main uh, uh, robotic platform is actually drones, quadcopters because they are super agile uh, and they can actually do things much faster than uh, their ground robot counterpart. And um, one uh, uh, main characteristic of our lab is that uh, we, we use only cameras as the main sensor modality plus initial measurement units. And we use either uh, standard cameras or event cameras or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you've been with, with this team for quite a while. So what was your journey like when you started over there, how long ago was that? And then how did it transform to where it is today? So yeah, when I started, I was just an assistant professor. I had no PhD student. So I applied for uh, a lot of proposals and then uh, that's how actually then I was able to hire, uh, you know, now so many people. So at the moment there are like 10 PhD students and, uh, and three postdocs. So um, we started initially with the, with the uh, drone navigation. And then uh, a few years later, we started working on uh, event cameras because we realized that actually if uh, you want to be faster than humans in, uh, in perceiving and uh, reacting to changes in the environment, you actually need to mm -hmm. use very fast sensors. And this is something that uh, we must uh, think about if uh, we want to use robots uh, eventually in the future to replace humans at repetitive actions. This is what's happening, for example, in assembly chains, for example, where uh, robotic arms have already replaced humans. So, Robots are useful in repetitive actions, but they're only useful if they are more efficient. That means if they're really able to accomplish the task more efficiently. So that means you need to be able to not only reason faster, but also perceive faster. And that's why we started working on event cameras, because they perceive much faster than standard cameras. Yeah, so what exactly are event cameras? So an event camera is a camera, first of all. It has pixels, mm -hmm. but what uh, distinguishes an event camera from a standard camera is the fact that these pixels are all independent of each other. Each pixel has a, a microchip behind that basically um, allows the pixel to monitor the scene, and whenever that pixel detects a change of intensity caused by mm -hmm. movement or by blinking patterns, then that pixel will trigger an event. 
an event manifests itself basically with uh, a binary uh, stream. It can be a positive uh, event if it's a um, positive change of intensity or a negative event if it's a negative change of intensity. So what you get out of an event camera is basically not an image. You don't get frames, but you get uh, per pixel intensity changes at the time they occur. Mm -hmm. uh, to be more precise, um, if you move your hand in front of an event camera, you wouldn't see images like RGB or grayscale images, but you would rather see only the edges of my mm -hmm. arm because only the edges trigger changes of intensity, right? Mm -hmm. And now the interesting thing is that uh, these events occur continuously in time. And so an event camera doesn't sample these changes at uh, uh, fixed time intervals like in a standard camera, but rather continuously in time. So you have a resolution of microsecond. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. So when you say continuously, you mean as in it's just a very high frame rate to the point which it looks like it's happening continuously. No. Something much higher frame rate. No, no, okay. exactly. So that's a, that's a problem. So it's not there is no frames, okay? So you don't get... Mm -hmm. You don't get at all images, but you get basically a stream of events where each event contains the, uh, the, the position of the pixel spiking. You get mm -hmm. also the microsecond time resolution and the, the sign of the change of intensity, positive or negative. So that means, for example, if you... Uh, let's try to explain it in a different way. If you have uh, a fan rotating in front of an event camera, you don't get uh, you know frames at a high frame rate, not at all. You would rather get... Mm -hmm a spiral of events in space and time. Yeah. Exactly. A spiral of events in space and time. So we call this the space-time visualization of the events. Okay, because we have the time dimension that you don't get with standard cameras because cameras sample the scene at fixed time interval. So the, mm -hmm. the time is the same for all the pixels when the camera captures a frame. While here, the time is different for every pixel. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so also, if you were to interpret this data visually, how would it look compared to a standard camera? So it will look, so uh, it will exactly look like a, a motion activated edge detector. So mm -hmm. you would you see edges. If you represent the, the events in a frame-like fashion. So that is another way to represent these events. You just accumulate events over a small time window of say, I don't know, 10 milliseconds or one milliseconds and then you, you visualize it each as a frame. And in this case, you would actually see edges. But you must remember that the raw information is actually a space-time uh, mm -hmm. volume of events, okay? So it's not flat frames. Mm -hmm. Now, so what are some of the other benefits that you get when you compare this to a standard camera? And let's say for applications like, uh, you know, doing VSLAM on a drone that's traveling very quickly in the air. So the applications uh, for robotics uh, range from uh, state estimation that doesn't break, no matter the motion. For example, we showed uh, three, four years ago, a paper called Ultimate Slam, where we used an event camera uh, to be able to uh, unlock Slam, so simultaneous localization and mapping in scenarios where standard cameras fail. And the scenario we actually consider was uh, that of a camera that was been spinned as a lasso, lasso like a cowboy, through yeah. the USB cable of the camera. So we, I, we were spinning the camera like this, and the camera was on and was recording the scene. So now you can, you can imagine that the frames recorded by a standard camera would be completely blurred 
uh, of mm -hmm. pixels would be also washed out because of the drastic changes of illumination. Instead, the output of the event camera is always sharp. And so we, were, we, we demonstrated that thanks to uh, the high tempo resolution of the event camera, we were able to detect features. Of course, this, this was a different type of features, not standard corners, because now you have to reinvent corners for event cameras. We were able to track them, these corners, over time, fuse this information with the National Measurement Unit, and then we were able to recover the trajectory of the lasso with mm -hmm. extreme accuracy that would not be possible with a standard camera. So we showed that if you use an event camera, you can boost the performance of any slam by at least 85% in scenarios that uh, are inaccessible to standard cameras. And we are talking about high speed, but also high dynamic range. So high dynamic range is another property of event cameras. Event cameras have a dynamic range, which is eight orders of magnitude superior to standard cameras. So you can see very well in low light, as well as when you, for example, exit a tunnel. So we demonstrated mm -hmm. this with another paper at CVPR and PAMI, where basically we showed in the video that uh, if you use an event camera when you exit a tunnel, you can actually um, um, ma map events into standard grayscale images or even color images if you use a color mm -hmm. event camera, where actually you can see very clearly the sky and all the other objects around you like other cars in conditions that will actually be, be very challenging for standard cameras. For example, when you have the sunlight in the field of view of the camera or when you exit from a tunnel. Yeah. And then another robotic applications that we, we did uh, was for drones. Uh, actually, we had two for event cameras. We applied this uh, ultimate LAMA, so this state super fast state estimation algorithm to um, a drone that experiences a rotor failure. So as you know, you know, now that uh, autonomous drones are becoming widespread, especially in Switzerland, which was the first country to approve uh, autonomous uh, navigation of drones beyond time of flight, we have had uh, two crashes out of 5,000 autonomous flights. And mm -hmm. um, in one of these crashes was actually caused by the failure of a motor. So we can expect that this will become more and more frequent as the number of drones flying over our head will increase over the next decades. So we thought of uh, an algorithm that could possibly use uh, the remaining uh, three rotors in order to continue stable flight. So this has already been demonstrated by Rafael Andrea uh, in this group and also in, uh, in uh, TU Delft. But they were using uh, the position information coming from uh, a GPS or from mm -hmm. uh, a motion capture system. Now, what we wanted to do is to try to use only onboard cameras. So we tried first with, uh, with a standard camera, and we realized that actually we were able to re estimate reliably the motion of the drone during the spinning, because when a, a, a propeller fails, basically what happens is that the quadruple starts spinning on itself. And this uh, high uh, rotational motion causes actually, typically, it will cause a motion blur. But apparently, yeah. if you are in a bright day, the motion blur is actually not significant. So it's actually manageable. And so with the standard slant, uh, pipeline, like SVO, we were able to actually sustain motion and therefore stabilize the drone despite this very fast rotational moment. And this is with a standard camera or with the This we managed with, with a standard camera in bright light condition. Now, then what we did is that we started dimming the light. And we realized that as uh, the light um, uh, intensity fell below 50 lux, then, which basically like artificial light conditions like now it's indoors, then in this case, for example, the camera was too blur in order to be able to detect and track features. And in this case, we were only able to sustain flight using the event camera. And with the event camera, we were able to actually continue to stabilize the drone up to an illumination as low as 10 lux, which is uh, you know, close to full moonlight. So that's quite uh, significant.
And finally, the, the last thing I wanted to point out, another application of event cameras to drones has been for dodging uh, quickly moving objects. For example, we have a, a paper and a video in science robotics where basically a student is throwing an object like a ball or, or, or other objects to the drone while the drone is already moving, it's translating towards the object, and then the drone eventually dodges these fast-moving objects. And we use uh, an event camera because, uh, because we show that with the event camera we were able to detect and start the evasive maneuvers with only 3.5 millisecond latency, while with standard cameras you would need at least 30 milliseconds because you need to acquire two frames and then do all the image processing pipeline to detect the position and, and, uh, and the velocity of the incoming object. Yeah, so within that 3.2 milliseconds you said, so that's also yes. including an algorithm that's able to also detect that, oh, this is an object and it's coming to me. That's correct. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you know, one of the advantages of, say, a standard camera is that, um, one, you could use it for your computer vision algorithms, your uh, machine learning, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but you could also then have a person look at it and intuitively understand all of the, the data that's coming off of it is, you know, the big advantage of cameras. That's correct. So, yeah, if you were to, if you were to say, use a event camera on your drone, um, is there, would there be a, an intuitive way that you could also, as an operator, view that output and have it like really make sense? So uh, directly, no, there is no way that you can verify, recognize a person from the footage recorded from an event camera, from the raw footage recorded from an event camera. However, we showed in another paper published at uh, CDPR and PAMI that you can train a neural network to reconstruct uh, um, a visually uh, correct uh, images from raw events. Basically, we have a recording neural network that was trained in simulation only because we have a very accurate uh, event camera simulator. And in simulation, it was trained to actually um, um, reconstruct these grayscale images. And we were comparing the reconstructed images with ground truth, which uh, we possessed in simulation. And now what we found is that actually this also works in practice with any sort of event cameras. You know, there are different event camera companies, also different models for each company. So we're actually quite impressed by the fact that it works with the event camera. So that means that uh, event cameras don't really preserve your privacy. So they, they actually can be used and they can be post-processed in order to reveal the identity of, of people. But I would, uh, uh, to, to go back to your original question, I would say that event cameras should not be used uh, alone as the only uh, you know, camera but it should always be combined with standard cameras because an event camera is a high-pass filter. So a standard camera can record footage also when there is no motion. Of course, you may say, ask, okay, but what is interesting if there is no motion? But this actually comes very um, handy in uh, autonomous cars because when you stop and there is a traffic light and then you want to wait, you know, you want. the point is that also stationary information is important for seeing understanding. Okay, so an event camera cannot detect anything if nothing is moving. So as soon as you start moving, then you get information. That's the, why the best is to combine it with, with a standard camera in order to get this additional information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, you mentioned uh, autonomous cars. So are there mm -hmm. any other places in industry that these are being actively uh, deployed? Um, how accessible is this to, say, startups that are in robotics uh, that are looking to improve their, their SLAM? We are working with a top tier company to investigate the use of event cameras for automotive applications. And uh, we are working on, 
on HDR imaging, so try to render images uh, in much better quality than you can with standard cameras, especially when you have the sunlight in the field of view. Uh, also, we are looking at uh, uh, pedestrian detection and uh, tracking. Uh, at the moment, if you look at uh, standard uh, cameras like uh, Mobileye, they take uh, around 30 milliseconds to detect uh, pedestrians and other vehicles and also estimate their speed, uh, relative motion with respect to your car. Uh, with event cameras, we speculate that this uh, latency should drop below 10 milliseconds, okay? Uh, because still, you want to be very, very reliable, okay? So if you want to have the same uh, accuracy in detecting all these other vehicles and pedestrians. So that's the type of uh, things that we are investigating. Um, it can also be used for in-car monitoring, for example, to uh, monitor the activity within the car, blinking uh, eyes, uh, or, uh, for example, also for gesture recognition within the car. So these are other things that are being explored by other automotive companies, not by us. Um, another thing that is actually very important uh, about event cameras is the fact that uh, uh, they need much less uh, memory footage than standard cameras. So this is a work that we published at CVPR last year, and it was about video frame interpolation. So we combined a standard high-resolution RGB camera, FLIR camera, so very good quality, with uh, a high-resolution event camera. Um, but still, of course, the resolution of event camera is still uh, smaller than standard cameras. So the maximum you can get at the moment is uh, 1080 pixels. Uh, and so we combine them together. So basically, the output of this new sensor was a stream of frames at constant time intervals, plus events in the blind time between consecutive frames. Okay, So you have uh, a lot of information. And then what we did is that we used the events in the blind time between two frames to reconstruct arbitrary frames at any time, at any arbitrary time, okay? By using basically the information of the events just before the time at which we wanted to generate the, 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 the frame and the events just after the, the, the reconstructed frame, okay? So we take two frames, we look at the events left and right, and then we reconstruct basically the image in between. And we were able to upsample a video up to 50 times by doing so up to 50 times. And we call this uh, this uh, paper time lens. Um, and so we showed that, for example, we were able to generate then slow motion videos, so with impressive quality. Uh, for example, in scenes uh, uh, containing uh, uh, balloons being smashed on the floor, balloons filled with water then being smashed on the floor, or balloons filled with air being, for example, popped. Other things that we showed were, um, uh, for example, fire, uh, other uh, things moving super fast, uh, like people, uh, you know, running or spinning objects. And we were able to show that actually you could get this uh, using uh, not a high cost equipment like uh, high speed cameras. And uh, what we also showed is that using an event camera, you can record uh, slow motion video with 40 times less memory footprint than you would need with a standard RGB camera. So just if I remember correctly, we showed that in, this, in the uh, Huawei P40 Pro phone, which at the moment I think is the best phone camera. So at the moment there, you, if you record video up to 8 kilohertz, then it, it uh, has a footprint of 16 gigabytes per second of video. 
Instead, yeah, so by that's using like, uh, eight thousand frames per second, exactly. Um, and then the, I mean, the the resolution, if I remember right, I don't know if it, the video is sixty four megapixels. Well, we we, we limited the, we limited the, the resolution for that experiment now at the same resolution as the event camera because we wanted to make a fair comparison. So for the same resolution as the event camera, basically we get sixteen uh, gigabytes per second of video of slow motion video. And with the event camera, we were able to reduce this to four gigabytes per second of video. Okay, so 40 times improvement. Not only, we also showed that while with a standard uh, high-speed camera or uh, the, the Huawei, Huawei phone, you can only record very short phenomena for a maximum of 125 milliseconds. Thanks to the event camera, we were able to record them for much longer. We are talking about minutes or even hours, depending on the dynamics of the scene. So this means that also for automotive, we could possibly also uh, significantly reduce, uh, you know, the memory storage of the things that we need in order to, you know, for our training algorithms and so on. So now we are focusing more and more actually on uh, deep learning with the event cameras. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's definitely a very massive thing. Uh, we've, we've seen before where uh, SSDs that are being written to again and again for video, uh, even in um, the autonomous car world, have been failing uh, due to old age. So, and then just to get an idea of how much data it's required to record a 1080p video. So that's 1920 by 1080 pixels um, for on an event camera. That would just be one pixel with one binary value for every pixel, right? Uh, yes, but not only. Actually, you need, uh, uh, it's around 40 bits. So yes, you get, you need basically 20 bits for the position. Then you need another, uh, another uh, 20 bits for the time resolution plus one bit for the sign of the intensity change. So that's, so it's around 40 bits, but actually now there are, there is 40 bits. Okay. Because 20 bits is for the time, the timestamp, uh, a microsecond resolution. Now though, there are uh, um, new algorithms coming from uh, the company Prophecy that also produces event camera that compress uh, the time information by only sending basically the increment of time since the last event. And by doing so, they were able to drastically reduce the bandwidth by another 50%. And this is already available with the newest sensors. Yeah. So, you know, this is almost like uh, an evolution in encoding too, as well, uh, at least for certain applications that have both of these sensors available. Yes. Um, and yes. then I think right now, you know, I looked up the price of event cameras and they're, they're, they're still quite expensive and not from many manufacturers. Um, do you have an idea of roughly how much they cost? And um, if yeah. there's, you know, yeah. any sort of um, vision into the future for how their price comes down um, with adoption? At the moment, the cost uh, is between uh, three and $5,000, uh, $5, depending if you buy them uh, in a low or high resolution and with uh, or without the academic discount. And these are the prices uh, I'm telling you from first-hand uh, user experience. And uh, about the price, I mean, uh, what these companies are saying very uh, explicitly is that as soon as an, a killer application is found, then they, uh, they will start mass production, and then the cost of the sensor will certainly go below $5. However, before doing that, you need to reach you know, a mass production. And I would say that we are experiencing what, uh, what happened with the depth sensors. You know, depth sensors were available, depth cameras were available already from the 90s. I remember during my PhD with Roland Sigward, we had uh, the Swiss Ranger, which was uh, one of the first depth sensors made by a Swiss uh, startup. And at the time, it cost uh, $10,000. And that was 2005, in 2005. So now you can find them in every iPhone. 
and so but uh, you know the, uh, you know almost 20 years have passed so event cameras uh, reached now an acceptable resolution that is uh, basically a megapixel resolution only two years ago in 2020 before they were actually uh, in the resolution of 100 by 100 pixels so i would say now that we have this resolution people start uh, to buy them to ex make experience with them and at the same time also companies start to also investigate what their use cases could possibly be. So it will take time. It will take time. I cannot speculate how much time it will take because uh, <laughs> I'm not a futurologist, but uh, I think that eventually they will be using something. Um, now, other, other things where I believe they will also find a lot of applications are, for example, for uh, activity recognition. And I'm aware already that in China, they are using quite a lot uh, for monitoring, for example. So there is a company in Zurich called uh, SynSense that uh, pair, pairs event cameras with the neuromorphic chips that are running uh, spike in neural networks. So the camera plus the chip that is doing uh, neural network inference for face recognition, all, all of it consumes about one milliwatt. And uh, you only need to change the batteries every few years. So you can install these cameras, you know, some shops or in front of your house and only and forget about changing the battery for a few years. So that's quite amazing. So, but, so we are talking about basically, you know, edge computing and always on devices. Okay. So this is also an, another interesting application. Then we, of course, we, I speculate also defense. Uh, there is also a DARPA program running about event cameras called the Fence program that is trying to build a new event camera with even much higher resolution, much higher dynamic range and much higher temporal resolution. And we can understand what possible applications can be for defense, uh, fast tracking of targets and so on, for rockets as well. Um, and for the computation of photography, I already mentioned the slow motion video, but also the blurring. There has been work uh, done by other colleagues uh, where they show that you can, for example, unblur a blurry video using uh, information from an event camera. To be honest, there are so many applications. So there has also been a synthetic aperture imaging so to, go, to see through clutter, uh, uh, I think two years ago, that's ICCV. So there is a lot coming out. So we, and I'm, I'm actually always super excited to look at the proceedings of conferences to see what uh, imagination people actually, creativity people are unlocking to use event cameras. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I can imagine also uses in low light situations, um, you know, and, and I know your team does a lot of work with uh, search and rescue for drones where you get into a lot of these sort of um, not lit or dark situations that it would be super helpful. Um, is there a good way to, to gauge like, uh, say, distance to an object using one of these cameras or maybe in combination with a traditional camera? Yes, we did it. So we've done it in different ways. So, of course, the easiest way would be to uh, use a single event camera plus IMU, and we can do it. So we need monocular uh, visual inertial odometry, So, you, but you need to move in order to estimate the depth. You can, of course, hallucinate depth using uh, uh, monocular event cameras plus uh, deep learning, and we also showed that uh, in a paper a few months ago. Uh, you can combine uh, two event cameras together in a stereo configuration and then triangulate points. Also, this uh, we did it, and many people that did it. You can also have a hybrid stereo event camera where a single camera, one camera is an RGB camera or a grayscale camera, and the other one is an, an event camera. So you can actually get, in this case, both uh, you know the, the, the photometric information as well as the low latency of the event camera. But actually, what we started doing last year, um, uh, in collaboration with Sony Zurich, 
is actually to combine an event camera with a laser point projector. And basically what we have assembled is now a very fast active depth sensor. That basically, you know, we have a moving dot that scans the scene from left to right. And then we have the event camera that can actually track this dot at impressive speed. And now you get a super fast depth camera. And we, we show that actually we could uh, we would need the less than 16 milliseconds for it, for each of it. Actually, we are limited by the speed of the laser point projector because you know uh, we didn't buy you know a very expensive laser point projector. But this shows that actually it's possible to shrink the acquisition time by these laser um, uh, based uh, depth sensors. So I think this is quite uh, new. And uh, so we just published it at 3 tv a few months ago, and we are super excited about this. Also, Sony is super excited. It could have also significant applications, you know, in uh, phones uh, and uh, also for indoor robotics. I'm saying indoors because typically, you know, when you have, uh, you know, um, lasers, uh, typically you are limited by the, the external light. So you have to have a, a lot of, you have to emit a lot of power, of course, if you want to make it work outdoors. Uh, other things that we actually are very excited about uh, in terms of uh, active vision, so with lasers, is uh, event-driven lidars. So again, in collaboration with Sony, what we showed is that if you use lidars for automotive, they illuminate the scene uniformly, regardless of the scene content. So also when the scene is stationary, that actually causes a, a huge amount of power consumption. Now we know event cameras only react to moving, uh, moving things. And uh, we, we evaluated that on a typical automotive uh, scenario, you know, car driving down uh, an urban canyon, only 10% of the pixels are excited, okay? Uh, this is because an event camera is a threshold. So, you, so basically every time that the, the, the intensity changes, uh, goes over a threshold, then uh, an event is triggered, okay? So you can tune the threshold in order to get more or less uh, events, of course. So, but, so just to understand, like let's say there's a car driving down the street um, mm -hmm. and it's got an event camera on, on its hood. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, everything you would imagine is moving except mm -hmm. for maybe things on the horizon or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you're able to set the threshold so that you can adjust what is considered motion and what is not. That is correct. So we can subtract the ego motion from uh, the absolute motion. So this can be done. We already done it. We have a framework called uh, contrast maximization where we can subtract the ego motion. So then you will get only the things that are really moving. And so we can then guide the laser to only give us depth information in correspondence of those regions. Of course, we are very conservative in this approach. So we don't say, give me the depth for this specific pixel. No, what we say is that okay, there is a region of interest, so a rectangle typically, and then we ask basically the LiDAR to crop and to only give us information in specific sparse rectangular regions within the image. So that's that's something that we just uh, we just published. It's it's a, it's a premium result. I mean, there is a lot to improve there, but uh, we are curious to see how the the community will react on that. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just listening to you speak, there's so many projects that are happening. There's so much research um, that's going on and articles being written. Um, what would you know? What are one your the high level goals for your team of like what research you want to accomplish and what you know changes you want to bring to robotics. <laughs> um, and then how can people keep up with it? <laughs> okay, so we also work a lot on drones, okay? We work like 50% on drones and 50% on even cameras. So at the moment, also, I'm very excited about drone racing. I don't know if you want to talk about this now now or, or later. But uh, to stick to event cameras, uh, uh, I'm really interested in, uh, 
in um, understanding where event cameras could possibly help in any in any application scenario in robotics and computer vision. And so all the ones that I mentioned so far uh, to you are the ones I'm very excited about. And if people want to start working on event cameras, actually we maintain a list of resources on event cameras. First of all, we organize every two years now a regular workshop at CBPR or ICRA. We alternate uh, the, the years. So we have done so far three workshops and you can find them on our event camera webpage. You can find all the links. From the same page, we also link a list of event camera resources which contain all the papers ever published on event cameras in the last uh, 10 years, ever published. So we have, we have over 1,000 papers, which, actually, which is actually not a lot, if you think about. Then uh, we also list all the event camera companies. We also list uh, all the open source algorithms. And we organize all the algorithms depending on the, the application, from SLAM to optical flow to scene understanding. There is also there a lot. to. So I would uh, say to the novices who want to jump into event cameras, First of all, you don't need to buy an event camera. There is also plenty of datasets that are all listed from this uh, from our webpage. All the datasets are listed there, and uh, and so just start with that. We also have a tutorial paper, a survey paper on event camera that explains how event camera works. We also have uh, courses, uh, so because it's part also of my lecture at uh, the University of Zurich and ETH Zurich on computer vision and robotics. So I also teach event cameras. Also, my former postdoc Guillermo Gallego runs a full course on event cameras of uh, several weeks. So if you if you really want, want to follow a course, so there is a lot of resources that are all linked from our webpage. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And that's it for today. If you enjoyed this week's episode, check out our previous episodes at robohub.org forward slash podcast or wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you have feedback, episode ideas, or might be interested in joining the Robohub podcast family, we're always happy to hear from our listeners. Just email our podcast lead at abate.de.mey at robohub.org. Our next episode will air in about two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.